0: is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 194 of the Rebel Author Podcast. How the fuck are we at nearly 200? Like, I swear to God, I only started this podcast like yesterday. Anyway, today I'm talking to James Blatch all about completing his first series and what he learned in the process. But first to last week's question, which was, what's your favourite social media platform and why? Eden Collier said, I'd say my favourite social media is Instagram, partly because it doesn't suck me in a rabbit hole of big boobied ladies, often with very little on, oh my, like TikTok, and it's not a dumpster fire of fake news and motivational quotes from rich hippies like Facebook or twi- Twitter. I nearly said titter. <laughs> and I just like nice pictures. Me too, me too. Author Lena M. Johnson said Twitter really clicked for me there for a while, and I met some amazing people there, including a, a fantastic critique partner. It's sort of crashed and burned, though, and it's too toxic for me now. These days, I prefer Instagram so I can surround myself with cute cat pictures and book content. Edwin Downward said, For all the drama this last year, Twitter still remains my go-to platform of choice. I am building my presence on uh, Mastodon and Instagram, but neither gives me the same level of interaction. Fa- Facebook is for close families and friends and select groups. And then Cece Christiansen said Instagram. So my question for you this week is actually courtesy of one of my patrons, Lynn. So Lynn says, What do you want readers to feel when they read your books? Okay, the book recommendation this week is, uh, well, it's a series. It's the Cruel Prince series by Holly Black, so it's YA fantasy. Um, I have to say, uh, the first book I was not sure at the beginning... um, something a little bit uh, not that believable. Um, but as I got into, so I listened to the first book in audio and I read almost the whole second book yesterday uh, in in physical copy because I, I had a bit of eye strain so I had to uh, come away from the computer. Um, but oh my God, it feels like easy cheesy fantasy. There's like, and I mean no disrespect uh, when I say that. Like it's exactly what I wanted, exactly what I need. I don't have to think. It's like, Oh, it's just so fun. And uh, yeah, it was everything that I needed. And I have the third book, thank God. (laughs) in hardback. I don't normally read back to back in the same series, but I have to say I am 100% going to uh, finish the little bit that I've got left of book two this evening and then read the whole of book three. Well, either tonight or tomorrow, including tomorrow. Um, but oh my goodness me, so much fun. It's um, fey, uh It's like enemies to lovers, but very, very slow burn. And like, there's not, it's not really, st- there's not really any scene. There's a, like a kiss. Um, but it's, oh, it reminded me why I used to love Young Adult and why I used to read it all the time and why I used to write it. Uh, Well, still kind of technically write it. I still got the manuscript on my, I've got the centre death that needs editing. But anyway, yeah, it just, it was exactly what I needed. And so I'm sharing the Crawl Prince series this week uh, by Holly Black. Okay, so in personal news and update then, uh, as I just mentioned, I am definitely burning low. I am... Do you know what's really annoying? The fact that rest works. <laughs> it's so fucking annoying to me. I basically got to yesterday and I woke up with a headache and I had eye strain and I just could not, I just couldn't. And I did all of the kind of freelance and admin bits that needed doing, uh, but by lunchtime I was so done in. And even Chloe was like, do you think you need to step away? And I was like, do you think you need to step away? Um, And uh, you know, she's always fucking right. It's deeply annoying. So I did step away. And lo and fucking behold, this morning, <laughs> the headache and almost all of the eye strain has gone. Shocking me and nobody else. It is so wildly frustrating to have this fucking puny skin sack of a mortal carcass. Why can't I just burn at a thousand degrees forever? <laughs> it's so annoying. Like, I just, I just want to burn all day long all day, every day, all fucking night, until I die. Like, <laughs> I just don't understand why my body will not do what I demand of it. Anyway, so by lunchtime, I stepped away from the computer reluctantly. And um, I sat in my purple throne under a blanket because I was also, uh, whilst being very frustrated. Deeply, deeply feeling sorry for myself. And I sat and read, uh, like I say, three quarters of uh, The Wicked King, which is book two in the, in the, in the Cruel Prince series. And then I felt better. Like, what the fuck? Ugh. Now, the thing is, like, <laughs> the rational part of me does know that I have not been inputting enough, that I have not been reading enough. Um, and the other thing is like, there's a lot of um, I have to reads, you know, because of the podcast. And, um, you know, I have to read certain things for classes and for, well, for the podcast. And then it's just sometimes reading becomes a chore and I'd forgotten that actually I do have the power to, to just pick up something that I have chosen to read. I haven't done that in a while. And um, it surprised me at how quickly I read yesterday as well. And I think that is the difference between reading because I need to for work or reading because I've chosen to. Um, And it's a reminder to me that I do need to, yes, yes, everybody, I can hear you like rolling your eyes at me, but it is a reminder that I need to make time for that. And yes, I have already started piling up books to take to Turkey and I am going to literally fucking devour 75 million books whilst I'm away. but the point is I actually need to do that now. So anyway, I would say that my last week has been taken up with like, <laughs> try not to collapse. <laughs> it's actually not funny. Uh, I, but if you don't laugh, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Cry? <laughs> fucking lay down and give up? Don't fucking think so. Anyway, wow, this episode <laughs> got ragey quick. Anyway, so... Uh, I have started book two. Book two? No, book two's being released this month. Book three. And this episode is sponsored by Sasha being scatty. Anyway, book two is coming out probably by the time this airs, almost, I suspect. And yeah, actually it'll be launch week, and so I am writing book three. I'm 13,000 words in. Uh, but I am like I say, I missed yesterday because I'm so tired and I have eye strain, so because this is on quite a tight deadline. I really need to uh, spend a little bit of time in the next couple of days just trying to manage my schedule. One of the things that I found very difficult is to be writing book three whilst needing to promote book two, like the, the brain splits quite hard. And I think this is where rapid releases like have a benefit because or, or people in larger genres who can use things like Facebook ads for advertising because then there's less pressure on doing like time sucky things like uh, social media. So uh, this does make me wish that I could do Facebook ads or that maybe I should try maybe for the next series Uh, just because I can't do such huge launches all of the time and I can't do such huge social launches all of the time whilst I also am drafting but because I still have freelance at the moment that's also making it difficult to split my time across all of the different things so I don't know maybe I need to outsource more I'm not I'm not really sure. I am at this juncture where I'm going to be releasing more regularly and more types of products as well and I have got to create some kind of tiered system a bit like how Elena Johnson uh, talks about having you know hard medium and soft launches because this is not sustainable. So I need to look at that in the background, and I guess as I start to build a backlist, because this is the other thing. You know, <laughs> prior to uh, Hearts and Heist, I hadn't had a fiction launch. Well, I well, I had Trey, the third book, but that was, you know, I just put it out. I did nothing really. Um, and so yeah, I don't know, it's just a lot, and I need to then look at what I'm doing to in order to make sure that I'm continuing to promote the backlist once I start the next series. So it's a just, I just feel like I'm in constant learning mode at the moment. Um, It's also different from the nonfiction. And yeah, like I'm loving the fact that I'm learning loads and having to implement loads of systems to make me more effective and efficient. Strategic loves that. Everybody drink. Uh, But also I'm fucking tired. And uh, yeah, so anyway, I'm just like buzzy, buzzy, buzz buzzed. (laughs) But also everything's a lot right now. The other thing that I'm excited about is that I'm I'm slowly cro- cro- clawing my way towards the nonfiction, and. <laughs> I have yet another idea for a nonfiction book, and like this is this is how I know I'm ready to write nonfiction again. Because you know, for a while I was like, oh, I don't really know what topic to do, and actually now I have I don't know five or six that I want to write, which is more of a problem than not having um, any. Or it's not that I didn't have any; it's that I wasn't infused about any of them. Now I'm enthused about loads of them. So yeah, and I'm super excited for the courses as well, because I've got some really great content that I can share like quickly and get it out to you. And like it will answer some of the questions that I get asked regularly. So I'm, yeah, I'm just super excited to be able to share some of these things and hopefully they're gonna help lots of you. So I'm just filled with joy. <laughs> I mean, like, my key word for this year was joy. So I basically say I'm fucking smashing that one. <laughs> um, but yes, so holiday is on the horizon. Launch will be the week um, as that you listen to this. And basically everything's exciting and fucking brilliant. And uh, apart from the fact that my puny mortal skin carcass is a bit shit. <laughs> but hopefully doing that thing that everybody talks about that begins with R uh, is going to help me. And I will try to do that more soon now, tonight. Okay, I'm coming back to being serious this week because I'm doing something a little bit different with the Rebel of the Week. The Rebel of the Week this week isn't a story, but an honorary nod to one of my favourite rebels over the last several years and that's to Eden's nan. Unfortunately Eden's nan passed away and her stories have been some of my favourites. This is where we got the granny rebellions from and I just wanted to take a minute to appreciate her life and to say thank you for the stories and to wish all of Eden's family uh, love, hugs and support and yeah just to say thank you so much for all of the stories that you graced the show with and may you be a rebel in your next life too okay if you would like to be a rebel of the week then please do send in your story it can be any kind of rebellion something big something small or something in between you can email your rebel story to becca over on rebel author podcast at gmail.com and as always we are still quite low we do need more rebellions so please if you do have a story send it in to us because we would love to read it out on the show one new patron this week, hello and thank you and welcome to Catherine Bellinger. And of course, a big thank you to all of my existing patrons. I really, really appreciate you guys. You do help to keep the, the show running, you help to pay for the costs, and also you make me feel like what I'm doing is helping. So thank you for the support. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black okay that is enough from me this episode let's get on with the interview hello and welcome to the rebel author podcast today i am joined by james blatch james is the co-host of the self publishing show and co-founder of the self-publishing formula he's also the writer of cold war thrillers and that is what we are talking about today hello james and welcome to the show
1: Hey, Sasha, thank you so much for having me on. Excited no, to be thank
0: here. you. It's been a long time. We've known each other for a long time. And uh, so I'm excited to talk about this and, and the journey that you've been on. So before we dive in, would you like to tell everyone like a little bit about your journey and kind of how did you come to work with Mark and and SPF and your journey in general to how you got to where you are today?
1: Yeah, well, I actually worked with Mark uh, at the British Board of Film Classification. So we were film examiners, a strange group of people who sit in the dark in Soho, watching the films that you get in the cinema, but about three months beforehand and writing reports on them and, and determining what category they should be, age category. Oh, so it was a brilliant okay. job um, and did it for, I did it for about seven years. Mark did it a bit longer. And whilst I was there, I started doing freelance video production because it's, it's not, it, although it's a brilliant job, it's not one that's going to last uh, a whole lifetime. And I was sort of planning my next move. So I was doing freelance video production, doing quite well with that, working for some of the big advertising agencies like Ogilvy. John, uh, sorry, Mark, I remember was writing, ch- just discovering indie publishing whilst we were there together. He'd been a published author before, had a pretty miserable time with it um, and I did a few bits and pieces with him. He wanted me to do a voiceover, trying to do an audiobook sort of independently. But that was it, really. The only other thing that's relevant for that period is that on November the 1st, 2010, I was <clears throat> bored watching wrestling or whatever we were classifying that day. And I was looking at Twitter and a friend of a husband of one of the fellow examiners in there just tweeted that he was doing NaNoWriMo. I didn't know what NaNoWriMo was clicked on the link read the gist of it and that was enough and i just thought you know what i've always wanted to write a book i'd started and stopped writing books a few times over the years but i was missing my bbc journalism days so i started writing this book uh basically loosely set about my father's time in the air force in the 60s did it did did nanowrimo and then went on and finished the book and got a hundred thousand words but it was a mess i didn't really go back which is the right way to do a first draft i now know but it was an utter mess and i just stuck it in a drawer like lots of people do and left it there. So fast forward to after BBFC, I've I've left. I'm doing my video production. Mark Dawson phones up and says, I want to do an online course to teach people how to self-publish. Could you do the video bit for me? That was the formation of the self-publishing formula. And um, eight years later, I'm fully immersed in the world of indie publishing. It wasn't just doing the video anymore. I helped write the courses. I've written and published three books. I'm writing my fourth at the moment. Um, I have to say the first book, as you well know, Sasha, was a bit <laughs> of a, a long haul for me, and I found it really difficult getting to that point. But it's been it's it's accelerated since then, as people predicted it would once I got the first book out. But uh, we only did the first book really because we'd done the first course was ads for authors, really focused on marketing and, and advertising. That's our, our our area. So it was Facebook ads for authors, and then the next course was going to be more the foundation, like 101, we call it it's now called Launchpad. And Mark said to me, "Get that manuscript out, finish it, and that will be the book that will take through the process of this course." So, we didn't. I didn't finish it in time for the the course, but it is featured in there. And um, and then it became yeah, a bit of a struggle. It was a struggle. It was a struggle.
0: Yeah. It, it, well, we'll talk about that. What I find um, amazing is that you basically had the picture perfect setup for becoming an author like having all of this learning in advance um which is why I'm so curious to see the lessons that you have learned and like that's the basis for a lot of my questions is like well what did you learn um yeah. so let's talk about that book one because uh as listeners all know you did have quite the journey I do remember quite a lot of banter going back and forth between you and I and the London Book Fair yes. <laughs> about whether or not you who was gonna owe who pints if who finished what and when um but so tell everyone a little bit about um about the cold war thrillers and about how you eventually managed to get over the book the line of book one because you you shifted and did something different with editors and things didn't you in order to help you get over that so what was the process for you
1: yeah so when i first started writing i wrote um despite the fact i do read i read novels read novels my whole life read a lot of non-fiction as well um I didn't really understand how books worked. And I started writing this book and there was huge amounts of, I guess we'd call it info Actually, what I did was was to go back constantly in flashbacks, unnecessary wow. amounts of of backstory, just inexperienced writing, um, instead of moving the story along. So that book, that's why it was sort of hopeless, really. The gist of the story was good, I think, and it remained the same, but the writing was not. Um And then so I found it because probably had I had Mark said to me, right, start writing a book now, I knew a bit more, it would have been different. But having that there, like this mountain that's the wrong way up and and lots of access to it, I found it really difficult to sort of rewrite it. I didn't know where to start. And I was doing a podcast interview just like this with Jenny Nash, who is an editor based in California, and she does book coaching. And I didn't really know what book coaching was, but in the interview, she talked to me about book coaching and how it operated. And I thought, this is... This is for me. I mean, it sounded, it sounded like it was going to get me And I was pretty low about the book. I felt stressed about it. I felt like I didn't know how to get out of this hole that I was very publicly in, because everyone could see, you know, everyone knew my story. I didn't mind the banter. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't low, low, but I was distracted with a lot of other work. But I wanted to get out of it. Um, and and I spoke to Jenny immediately after the podcast. I said, look, I think this is for me. I think I want to do this book coaching. So she, she hooked me up and she sat down with me and one really important thing she did with me early on, she said, why do you need to write this book? Mm. Why do you need to write it? And I wrote a page for her and answer to that. And what poured out of this was daddy stuff. And you know, the reason I really wanted to tell this story about who I am, who my father is, sort of the very, very um insular individual that he he has become through his career, why he gets why these these military men get to that point. That's what the story was about. So that was the first thing that gave me clarity in rewriting it. And the second thing she said was, excuse me, my book started with a crash, a Vulcan crash, a military aircraft crash. And and then the protagonist basically has to work out what the dead part, what the dead person from the crash, his secrets, are gradually unfolded, which I thought was quite a neat, clever idea. But when It was quite a long time getting to it, and I was doing a lot of hiding stuff from the reader. Uh And another thing Jenny said, the other important thing she said to me, well, first of all, she said, well, what what actually is it? Can you just explain so I understand what has actually gone on? Not as a reader, just tell me. And I told her, a couple, again, probably two or three pages in a Word document of the backstory, and she phoned me up and said, that's the beginning of your book. Tell the story, because that's why readers read the book, to go along the story, not to have bits... So this all happened two years ago, and you weren't there for it, and that changed everything as well. So, so from that point onwards, I found the writing process came a lot easier. And um, I was also doing these interviews, Sasha. So I was learning stuff about info dumps and um, adjectives and adverbs and stuff. What not to do. So I had a lot of help uh, before I started my my second wasn't really my second, probably my third draft, but that was the one that turned into the book, and I enjoyed it a bit more at that point.
0: Yeah, I. I I think that's brilliant because (laughs) one of I don't know about you, but I often have to relearn the same lesson over and over again. It's very mm-hmm. deeply frustrating. Um, and one of the lessons that I have to learn is about how much I keep from the reader versus how much I keep from the characters because you often have to keep more from the two characters. They can't know things, but your reader can know them because that yeah. draws the reader in. And like literally in the, I, so I the, the a book that's coming out this month, I had to rework it in order to give the reader more, but keep more from the characters because then it, creates more kind of like emotional tension for the reader because they know and the other characters are. but it's like well I had to I fucking know that I don't know like yeah. I know that I don't know why I had to relearn that lesson over and over again That's but this the is where with all us. Images, right
1: exactly yeah and I think Jenny was a is a big fan of Dan Brown who I know some people are sort of snobby about Dan Brown he he's sold a gazillion books so he can dry his, his eyes with his uh his banknotes but he is brilliant <laughs> I think at doing exactly that but the reader knows everything, has this overall view, and these characters are struggling to work everything out. So it puts the reader the reader feels clever reading a Dan Brown book uh, exactly. because you feel you're a couple of steps ahead of the characters. And and it's the there's the old adage about the bomb under the dinner table, isn't there? That you know that one where With
0: Chekhov's gun, no?
1: Or not not quite Chekhov's gun, but the it's um It's to do with tension. So a clever thing is if you've got a dinner party and somebody has planted a bomb under it, which obviously becomes revealed when the bomb goes off or they discover the bomb. But isn't it a better scene if the reader knows the bomb's there at the beginning of the dinner party before you know for anyone else? So so that's the bit about hiding from thinking you're being clever, hiding something from the reader for tension. Actually, you're doing the opposite. So
0: yeah, yeah. And it's definitely a lesson that I had to uh, re-uh relearn. So Yeah. yeah. And this is why we have editors because you know, sometimes we we know these things, but we get so wrapped up in the stories that we're telling that we actually have to draw those elements out. But, hey, this is what editing is for. Um, OK, so what what was that process like working with a coach? Because I seem I don't correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't write the whole draft. You wrote parts of the draft and sent it off. Is that right? And then so that's very different to how other people write. So talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, so you wrote um, you, you'd write a chapter or a, a scene each week, um, and you'd send that off, and you get feedback. So at the, at the beginning of the week, you get feedback on the the scene from before or the chapter, and and then you you then progress through. So the idea is, and it's you know it's an odd way that traditionally we write books like before indie publishing. You sit in the dark in your house and you you write a book, and you have no idea. You've done no market research. Perhaps you like reading this type of book, so you write it and then you send it out and you cross your fingers and you hope it's right and you haven't spoken to a single professional yeah. in the in the world about how to write or what writing is or, or to help you you wouldn't do anything else like that or right? you wouldn't turn up you wouldn't do gymnastics in your house on your sofa and then turn up to the olympics would you you'd get a coach from day 1 mm. who teach you all the fundamentals so this is a bit like that it's basically really good for for beginning authors to teach them handhold them through a scene. So if you if you imagine you've written a scene and they come back to say, actually, the reason this, this scene didn't work very well is because you had this big info dump at the beginning. I didn't know what info dump was. That takes the reader out. There's some head hopping here. If people know what head hopping is. You have to be told and taught it because actually, I mean, I'm reading a James Patterson book that has head hopping in it. But, um you know, it's, uh, it's a strange thing. that you, I think you can get away with a bit of it, but it's better if you don't. So you're basically being taught the fundamentals as you go along i found it a really really useful process and i'll give you trying to remember the cost it's probably about three thousand pounds so it's about the same cost as a development editor uh, of a sort of hundred thousand word novel but it is effectively development edited by the end you by the end
0: are you still using this process or are you you're you've i'm not using
1: book coach (laughs) i am using a development editor um uh so i have my last two books he's a development editor and um i'm stalling a bit here i am again stalling a bit i've had a, I've, I've changed tack a little bit from three cold war thrillers i'm doing a sort of spy espionage same characters actually but just moving it forward about four years and the and one of the side characters who was a, a spy is now going to be the main character a bit more cold war espionage john Le Carre type and i'm struggling a little bit to adapt to that so i might go back to the development editor to help kickstart that
0: Okay, well, so I'm definitely going to ask you about that um, later on. But talk to me, um, like about what changed, because you went from taking a while to do book one, to actually publishing another two books in quite quick succession. And I I did have a look, was it like six to eight months between the books? That's quite a lot faster than what you were doing. Yeah. So what changed in your process like what enabled you what were the key things that enabled you to get faster?
1: I think um I think I, everything I'd learned from book 1 uh, first of all made me a more confident writer. I'm a very story driven. I know it should all be, always be about character but just the way my mind works is quite logical. I need the story there. I have to have the story. And the story came to me really quickly with with book two, uh, almost a fully. And I and I, what I tend to do is to write maybe two to three thousand words explaining the story, and once I've got that, I never look at that document again. But I then confidently write the book, knowing where I'm going.
0: Oh, without and an outline. That,
1: well, that that is effectively my outline. Okay. I, I don't look at it again. I just just know in my head what's going to happen, and then I don't I don't outline to scene level.
0: Yeah, yeah. At all, I mean, I have a bunch of post its on a page, and that's about it. But it's enough. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and other people have an incredibly detailed spreadsheet where every scene is plotted out. And other people, um, like Marie Force, who says she doesn't write a single thing down, she has no idea what's going to happen when she starts writing. So it's all extremes, isn't it? Yeah, she says that, she loves writing books because it's like reading it, finding what's what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that makes a lot of sense. It also, blows my mind. I just need a map. That's all. Like, kind of like a yeah, like a, a skeleton a spine just to see where it's going and then i can you know just make shit up
1: <laughs> yes and then then you can really focus on the character and once you've got I, I find you once you've got that story then you you start to think well you know who who is your character what are they like at the beginning what are they going to be like at the end what are they going to learn there's that great list of pixar i think it's 23 different character journeys in pixar and the famous one is is wizard of oz which is uh you already had what you you needed, yeah. which is a great one. But they're all, all variations of that. And um, so once you've got that, then you can really focus on character. So that's that's why I've f- found it easier. And the reason I'm stalled now is the story. It's not the character, I know exactly what the character is going to do. I know who she is, I know what she's learning and who she's going to be at the end of it, but I can't get the story right. And I think because I'm a bit I've read so many John the Carriers, and his stories are always so brilliant and complex. I'm feeling a little bit um in his shadow that I can't, I'm not good enough for that. So I need have to you, disabuse myself of that.
0: I know that you've spoken to Becca Syme on your podcast. Have you done your Clifton Strengths yet?
1: I did ages ago, but I probably you know what just, they are. Um, no, I can't remember. I will have to uh. think them out. I've got them somewhere. And then <laughs> I was going to say, that.
0: yeah, because I bet the answer is in there in terms of like how to to get to get out of it. Like the the strengths have enabled me to go from taking like six months on average to write a book to writing a book in about three weeks. So it's really changed like my process and stuff so if you are stuck i guarantee the answer in how to get unstuck is in those strengths somewhere i'm, I'm making
1: a note to look it up because yeah yeah drop me an email right? let me know because i'm yeah. so
0: intensely nosy and have to know what they are yeah. <laughs> um, okay so i'm going to ask sort of a couple of questions about this uh, next topic and uh, in january you did a public post Explaining that um, you were, you've learned some huge lessons um, and you're making a shift, which is sort of what you're talking about with the John Lacar um uh move. But you also changed and rebranded covers. So can you talk first before we talk about um the the shift? Let's talk about the rebrand and why you decided to do that. Like what what was kind of the the driver behind it? And and do you have results? Do you know whether or not it worked for you? Yeah, talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, so the covers is an interesting one. I, I I do love the whole subject of covers, and I'm you know I'm big friends with Stuart Bay, who's my cover designer. Mark's cover designer has done some, and funnily enough, has done John the Carre covers in the past. Huh. Um, and he he talks a lot about the role of the cover, which is not what you might think it is. You kind of want your cover to be an amazing picture. Uh, that's going to look different and stand out from the crowd. And, and the opposite actually is true. You want your cover to fit in because its only job is to tell a potential reader this is the type of book they read. And if it doesn't have those tropes on it, it's not going to do that fundamental job. Um, and so because I was writing Cold War thread is not a huge market, not a huge genre um, area, you get, you get espionage for it. It's a difference. It's a much broader genre, actually. But military aviation it was uh, Dale Thomas, people like that. So there aren't that many authors writing it. Tom Clancy had a stretch. Um, so we sort of came up with our best guess for that. And and Stuart does like the sort of single character with usually with his back to to camera. And that was, I think, I might even have a co- well. You're not using video, are you? But I'm uh, not.
0: But it. But I can drop it into the show notes. Okay. Yeah. So this so was the original
1: the one, which yeah. looks a bit like a thriller, and it was I, was. I was writing a thriller, so that that worked for me. And I loved it. You know, I loved everything about. It. It says R.E.F. RF playing on there, and uh, funnily enough, that's me because we couldn't get a proper. Oh um,
0: wow.
1: We couldn't get a proper photograph released by the MOD of the correct aware for 1950s. So I went onto eBay, bought it all, and then <laughs> went and did a shoot.
0: Oh my gosh, that's um, amazing!
1: But the cell and the cells were okay. But I I did notice after a while that my also bought were this group of other writers who were doing similar thing, and all of them had a different type of cover. What they did because it was a very male dominated kind of um, not very touchy feely kind of environment, and they all had the vehicle, whether it was a warship, a helicopter, a jet they had that front and centre and there were no characters in sight. And that was sort of, I, I worked out that's probably my audience, even though my book has more, I think, more character in it and is a bit more touchy-feely. Uh, uh, the reality is it's it's selling into that group. And so I went to Stuart, talked to him, he said, I completely agree, I've had a look at that as well. Um, and he redesigned it. I didn't have to ask twice, you know, he did a fantastic, so this became the cover, which has the same aircraft, but the aircraft is now prominent and there are no characters insight and yeah so and in terms of you know things are it's only one or two books it's quite hard for me to look there's no big spike somewhere but gradually I have been selling more books and I think that's been a lot I think the Facebook ads have worked better with that cover than they did with the previous cover and I made a profit with book one I made about eight or nine hundred pounds I think in year one first full complete year and um, I'm yes carried on in fact I had my first thousand pound month this year. I did have a I had a book bub at the end of last year which helped that. Mm-hmm. Um and that tale lasted quite a long time. So I haven't actually haven't tossed it up last month. But I imagine I'm probably going to be making probably half that a month in profit with two and a half books effectively with two books and a novella. So yeah, I think amazing. the covers are working and the covers all all match each other. So
0: And are you again, finding it's easier to make profit the more books you have?
1: Yeah, I mean that's the that's the the key thing for us. It's a big big takeaways, is it? Indie publishing is is about numbers. Unfortunately, you can't do a, a JD Salinger or um, you know just write one one book and and sit back. It's uh, you know the reason Mark makes lots of money from his books is he had like thirty books or twenty-five in the series or something and the more you can write. And we have, you know, we have a small indie publisher called Fuse Books and we have lots of submissions, but one of the things we can be fussy about it. So one of the things we say is you've got to have at least six books in the series out now because I think that's the minimum to make a decent amount of money. And um yeah. So I need to be cool. writing again now.
0: Or six books in the same genre, if not in the same series.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's, that's six the books bit... books that they can go on to, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's the bit that people miss. They think, oh, you know, I just need 10 books. Actually, you don't... You need 10 books all in the same genre before yeah. you will start to make the money. Because as much as us writers will read prolifically across different genres, that is not what the um, general reading populace does. I have a friend who who is a prolific reader and... Um, It genuinely shocked me, (laughs) like when we talked about it and I was like, oh, yeah. So like, you know, what do you read? Just science fiction. Wait, what? (laughs) Like the first time I kind of learned that people don't actually shift from what they were reading was absolutely boggling to me. But it really is true. (laughs) I still like fight against that truth, thinking that people will read, but they don't. They just don't. Um, okay, so let's talk about all of the lessons that you learned because you did do this big public post on Facebook in January, um, talking about how you'd gone away on holiday, which is which is what everybody does. We go away, we have some headspace, and then we we think, oh shit, you know, <laughs> we need to we need to share. So talk to me about that. Um, what was the big lesson that you learned, um, and what have you done differently since?
1: So the, the big lesson really was that I had written into a small niche and I had written books that were driven by my understanding of who I am and my family stuff and trying to explore all of that, which is basically that my my father's this very non-demonstrative, I don't want to say unloving, because that sounds cruel and unkind to him, but, but basically not not a, you know, there's no I love you, no, no hugging, it's just simply who he is. And I grew up with that and I've got a bit of that, I've tried to shake it off with my children, but... It was a big thing. It still is a big thing. And my books are exploring that. We all want to know, you know, where we come from and so on. And I think my takeaway after coming away is, is that enough now. <laughs> I've done that three times, three books, three versions of that. I think I've explored it. I do love, I am fascinated with his RAF career. He had an incredible RAF career, which he doesn't talk about, obviously. Um, and these books are, are brilliant fun for me to do. But if I'm serious about having you know, money going into my probably facing retirement in 10 years or so. Um, I need to shift into a more broadly read genre and apply the lessons I've learned into that. So that's why I chose spy espionage because that is just a bigger, it's a bigger genre. People are a bit put off. If you're not into aeroplanes, I think my books can be a bit off putting. I mean, the people who read them, I get great feedback and, um, you know, my wife reads a lot. She reads a huge amount um, and she said your book's perfect for for women um, and book clubs, but it just doesn't look like that.
0: Ah, uh, oh, isn't that frustrating? Yeah. How do you how do you feel? Because a lot of writers talk about um, this like tug of war that they have between writing, like into a more commercial genre and also making sure that they're writing what they want to write and so I this was the shift that I did in the last um uh the last couple of years was to write in um a more commercial genre and lo and behold <laughs> making a lot more money so yeah talk to me about how you feel about that kind of like, how did you come to that conclusion? Like, are you are you still excited? But just reassure people that it can be done is kind of what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the shift, as long as the shift isn't too massive. If you, I mean, if you're going from romance to science fiction, I mean, that's going to take you out of your, I mean, why would you go from romance? It's the biggest genre in the world. Maybe the other way around. That's going to be difficult. People might not want to do it. But I think you can shift into a genre like I've done from military thrillers to spy espionage and have a lot of overlap like i said it's my you know one of the main characters from the first book but i also think sasha that right you know book is a book is a book you know, the storytelling is the same the character journeys are the same whether you're reading cowboy romance or military thrillers and actually we shouldn't moan too much about oh i can't write i, I don't want to write in a commercial genre like it's impossible it's the same thing um so you're just making. Good choices now if people don't want to do that if they absolutely only want to explore family issues or whatever that's fine as long as they don't then complain that no one's buying their books and not making enough money because you know you you do have to make some some sacrifices and i think it is a, an achilles heel some writers they sort of have their quirks and they can't get them out of the way mm. and so their books are always quirky and quirky is quite a dangerous thing to be in a commercial environment yeah um, i think you have you to, to wait mainstream until-
0: yeah, I think you have to wait until you've built your audience. Once you have an audience, you can do whatever you like, because then you've built the trust and like that relationship with the readers that they will try things that you want to do. But I do think that the, you know, if you want a career, you you do have to do that. I also think that many of us do need to write that first series and just get it out of our system, because I did the same thing. Yeah. I wrote a right. series that wasn't commercial, because, and it's like, It wasn't commercial because I couldn't really explain very simply what it was. Like, whereas now when you write with a commercial focus, it's very easy to explain simply what the book is because you go into it, like choosing those elements specifically. And I actually think the other thing that really annoys me is that people look down on that, like writing commercially. Um, as if it's either lesser or easier to do, but actually it's fucking difficult to, to nail something cent- mid-centre market that is exactly what readers want. It's it, That in itself is like a, a science of all of these elements that you have to know and understand how to work them and how to put them together. So everybody needs to, to stop. <laughs>
1: stop all that. Yeah, exactly. I I, I completely agree. The snobbiness is is ridiculous around this subject. I often think of Ian um, Ian Banks, um, who writes... He's written some brilliant novels. I mean, Booker-winning novels, disturbing uh, novels. But he also writes a sci-fi series, uh, the culture series, which I absolutely love. And I remember once he said people often assumed that... um, that he wrote the sci-fi series for money, um, because it was like a genre series, and that allowed him then to indulge himself in those other books. But it was the other way around, actually. Oh. Those those the Wasp factory and everything were huge sellers and brought in lots of money. And he wrote the culture series for fun, um, because he really enjoyed it. Um so yeah, I mean I don't know. I, I, there's there's too much snobbery around anyway. As indie authors, we know this anyway, don't we? We see it on, on social media every day. You still get writers in the in the traditional space who sort of look down and go on and on about how to write query letters and often feel like replying to people saying, don't write query letters. Yeah, Sell your more books. books. <laughs> yes, <Yeah,
0: exactly. laughs> write more books. Yeah. Exactly. Um Okay, so what are you going to do differently? You've learned a lot of lessons from this first series. Do you, like, are there any marketing things you're going to do differently? Are there any things in terms of, like, how you're going to be publishing or, like, the craft? Yeah, what are you going to be doing differently in order to set this book up for profitability? Because that was your focus in, like, the big public posts that you did.
1: Yeah, so my first three books were standalone but with overlapping characters my next series will be one book after another. I mean, not 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 necessarily have to be read in order. A bit like the James Bond books. It just makes a lot more sense to read them in order. Um, and I think that's a that's you know a really good. You've got a very definitive, clear place for your reader to go at the end of your book. That is a commercial success for you, and that's making selling books much easier. Um, so that's the first thing. This will be a series. Um, Susie, who's the main character, is quite young at the beginning, and I've got. I know in my mind, but very roughly, I know she's going to end up as the first, you know, basically the Stella Rimington, real life character, the first head of MI5, a female oh. head of MI5 in the UK. So that's, and that's going to be in the 1990s and we're in 1970 at the moment. So, so yeah, one book after another, um, that's the first thing to do. Uh, the other stuff on the marketing stuff, I'm pretty good at, funnily enough, <laughs> sitting, sitting at the, uh, the, the ankles of Mark Dawson, who's you know, probably the leading protagonist of, of Amazon ads and Facebook ads. So I, I'm pretty good on those. I run, run them. And I don't think I'll do that much differently. I just hopefully will have a better product or an easier sale, sell, sell, sellable product.
0: Okay. How, how does it, how will it affect you? You talked about the the fact that it's a very like lads, lads, lads kind of genre. And the fact that you've got a female protagonist, is that bucking the market trend or like, how is that going to work?
1: Yeah, that is an interesting one. I really I mean that that probably I don't know. I mean, I have <laughs> thought about it, but I just really want her to be the protagonist. I just think she's she's the perfect protagonist for this. Um and uh and she's a girl and I wanted to write a girl. And I had, you know, I've had a strong mother. Uh I was a big fan of Princess Leia. She was, you know, I was 10 years old when Leia turned up in that 50. Forget everything else that happened in Star Wars afterwards in that first film. I still argue to this day Princess Leia was was one of the strongest characters in the film. She took over the leadership the moment they rescued her, put herself in charge, and then dealt quite cleverly with the men around her. Such a shame that they then didn't know what to do with her for the rest of the films. But um, so so that I've always found found that as a an inspiration, and uh, and I want Susie to be the main character. But yeah, in all honesty, I suppose. If I look around at the spy thrillers, none of them are female leads. Might be a problem. We'll see. I've got to give myself a loose one challenge, though, right?
0: Yeah, oh, 100%. 100%. I hope you're going to have a female beta reader. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: I mean, I'll I tell you what, I've just taken over. Um, we've just signed an author at Fuse, but it's called John Ellsworth, who writes legal thrillers, sort of Michael um, uh, Grisham, is it? Yeah,
0: John, John, Grisham.
1: John Grisham. John Grisham. He's Michael. Um, John Grisham style legal thrillers and I was looking at his data and the vast majority of his readers for the is a male protagonist called Michael Gresham. Um the vast majority of his readers are women in their 60s. Um, Interesting. And that's legal thrillers. So I don't think I think women could well be my market. Hopefully they will not be bulking at the idea of a, a, a female lead. I mean, it, it, it's a really, adds a really interesting element to it. A woman in 1970s on the back of the kind of 60s um, uh, feminine, feminist movement and obviously at the vanguard of that in this room of crusty old men who want her to fail the whole mm. time, I think adds a really good tension. There's lots of good reasons for having her there.
0: Is she, is she straight?
1: She is a, so far undisclosed she did sleep with somebody in book one but that's because she was undercover in a cnd camp and the reason the
0: the reason i ask is because often women in that era in those very male dominated um kind of arenas faced a lot of like well one sexism but also homo assumed homophobia regardless of whether or not they were you know actually straight or not and so i just wondered like whether or not you'd like thought about that because i if you're setting it in the 70s that's going to be a really like the glass ceiling all of those kind of like yeah you know social dynamics are like oh, that's very interesting i think the women are going to love it um okay so i know that you use tiktok um hmm. and i got uh i know that you know adam as well i met adam in seville which was wonderful I, he's so sweet i love him but anyway um you use tiktok as part of your marketing platform so how do you use it? What have you learned about TikTok? And how are you using it to build a platform and or sell books for you?
1: Yeah, I'm loving TikTok. I just, first of all, I love the platform. I find it, uh, obviously, you get shown what you want to get shown on social media platforms through the algorithm. But I found it a much more sort of joyous and enjoyable place and creative place to be than Twitter, which I find sort of toxic a lot of the time. So I, I migrated quite quickly onto TikTok. Um and I think there are two ways of of doing this in TikTok to sell books. One is to do brutally down the hashtag booktok route. So you you look and feel your well, your look there. People can't see this, but you've got a bookshelf behind you. It's a perfect look for TikTok for booktok. Says to everyone that's who you are, what you're doing, and you talk about other people's books, you talk about your books, and you post three times a day, and you sell books that way. And lots of people are doing that um, very well, and so like the main source of income, and which is great because it's free, it's organic at the moment as well. But I'm, I'm doing it slightly differently. And so I've got a specialist area, which is military, Cold War military aircraft. So I really focus on that. I post lots of interesting stuff about that. I've got lots of footage from my time in the BBC as a correspondent when I was in jets and stuff. And I do a live every week with a Cold War, um, not the Cold War, the defence analyst uh, called Sean Bell, who was a Harrier pilot back in the day and flew oh, me. And wow. that's why, why we know each other. So we do a live. We're doing one tonight, actually. And in between that, I talk about books. So less so than a book talk thing. Um, but I try to be as creative as possible, bringing the books in as much as possible. It, it's not the kind of page flippy buy my book post doesn't work so well for me. What does work is taking out characters. So last night, um, we can talk about AI if you want, because I'm massively into AI at the moment. And um, been, I asked Mid Journey, which is which generates... AI images mm-hmm. to imagine the characters in my books. So I gave mid MidJourney all the information about the characters in my book. Came up with these characters, which were brilliant, actually fantastic. From the final flight, gave them. They gave them to me little square pictures. I actually wanted them iPhone So I went into the new beta of Photoshop, which has something called generative fill in it. And Photoshop created the picture. It's unbelievable how quick and easy this was. And it looked stunning. So that was my post last night. These are the characters from my book, final Final flight. What do you think? And that's actually worked really well. So I've seen a spike in, I mean, I, I say a spike. It's only been six sales above average overnight. But um, that that immediately has led people to go and seek out the book. So trying to be clever and imaginative. It is, you know, it is possible to shift books on TikTok without question. Yeah. Um, and Adam Beswick is living proof of that, of course.
0: Well, I, I on launch day of the new pen name, I had, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it was over 50% of my sales were paper for fiction, wow, yes. which is unheard that's
1: of. The, that's exactly what I saw last night as well. Yeah. People want yeah. to, the TikTok audience tend to buy the physical books. We yeah. forget, you see, we advertise to Kindle readers most of the time, and I narrow nearly all my my targeting and interests on Facebook to people interested in the Kindle store, um, and you forget that most people still read physical books. There's a big right. market out there. Um, but one of the great things about TikTok shop, you can put your book on there. You can get it printed, however you get it printed, probably just author copies from Amazon. So they're like £5.50 or whatever you, you pay off Amazon. Now, if you sell that on Amazon, you and I know, and your audience know, you've got a price that at about 13 99 or something to make £1.50 or £2. TikTok will sell it, would take they'll take 48 pence. That's their commission of that. Um, of that sale and they at the moment are also including postage so they spit out a postage label for you so you don't have to pay for postage so what? and you can I put that-, know that yes i know now it might be a special deal for me because i do know them and uh, <laughs> they may be encouraging me to to obviously because i've got a podcast but um it's definitely worth it you know investigating and at our conference later this month they are going to present on this subject on how to use tiktok shop yeah, I was,
0: was so. going to say that the only downside to using TikTok Shop is you have to have a business account, which then does limit the amount of sounds that you can use.
1: It does, yeah. And annoyingly, after I'd gone to, it was quite fiddly putting that um, piece together last night, that post together last night. Couldn't put my product tag on there because product in, because I'd used some commercial music, and I honestly couldn't be bothered at that stage to go back and rechoose the music. So that didn't have, I still sold books because people can, you know, the last shot is the book and people just go off and, and look for it on Amazon.
0: Yeah, they're um, very trained to do that. I have definitely noticed a yeah. difference because it's nothing like Adam's success, but still, you know, it's, it's growing and showing that there is audience and you can sell more or less any niche on TikTok as well. Like there are so many little clusters of niches. Once you train the app to know what it is, like your feed, I suspect is all planes and I don't know, yeah. lads things, whereas mine's like, lesbian thirst traps and, like, lesbian books. So, you know, yeah. like... <laughs> well, maybe um, maybe if,
1: I'm, if Susie becomes uh, a lesbian, then maybe I'll start seeing. Did yeah. you say lesbian thirst traps? Oh, my God. What on earth does that mean?
0: Oh, it's what turns all straight women gay. No, uh, it's basically, um, like, where... Um... <laughs> God, I You're have
1: to exp- this is very reminiscent of our conversations at london book Fair after a couple of pints yeah you
0: know um it's basically where women will do like a transition um and they'll you know like so they'll go from like wearing a dressing gown or something and then they'll like slash an arm up and then when it comes down they're in like full makeup and it's like all okay. sexy and you know so it like yeah like it's 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 shocking to fight if you're a straight woman it's shocking that you may may find these women actually attractive and it's like a whole thing like let, yeah anyway let's oh, move I on see. from that hence the,
1: hence the expression anyway yeah so that's on your yeah. timeline and I yeah. get uh English electric lightnings uh, on my timeline <laughs> quite a lot well also I have marked mucked out my timeline because I'm quite into comedy cricket and golf as well so but it's quite good to keep your timeline as focused as possible on what your subject is
0: OK, well, I'm going to ask you one last big question, which is what have you learned about advertising since working with Mark and kind of all your time working with Facebook ads and, and Amazon ads? Any sort of quick um, rapid fire tips for listeners?
1: Yeah. Uh... Yeah, my first rapid fire tip is you don't know what's going to work when you start advertising. So brace yourself for losing money over campaigns, but you're not wasting that money. You're learning and you're going to get data from those campaigns. That it, you, know, you get all sorts of data in the background in Facebook and in Amazon, and you can then use that to create the campaigns that will make you money. And I say that because it's 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 depressing when you see people say, well, you know, Facebook ads don't work. I ran them for three days, five pounds a day for three days. and haven't made a single sale. That's not how this works. You know, you've got to give yourself $100, spend $100 over four days, uh, and then just let it run. Don't worry about sales. Don't worry about anything else. Then analyze it. Then look at sales. Then look at clicks. And then look at who, you know, is it men? Is it women? Are they 20, 30, 40, 50? Um, all sorts of other stuff you can get in there. Are, you know, what devices are they using? What platform are they on? Then pick out the bits that are working, and take Facebook will tell you that in black and white, and do a campaign that's just that. So that's a very quick and dirty way of, of telling you how to optimize a campaign. That's the biggest thing I've learned. Uh, however much you think you know your audience, you'll be surprised probably who's actually reading your book, so pay attention to that. And this uh, the, Facebook, the Amazon ads key to that is their keywords, search terms. It's called search terms. So you can actually look at the actual search terms that people clicked in that led them to your product page, which might not even be the keywords you – or, fact, often they're not the keywords that you proposed. And that's really useful um, uh, to find that out. So that's that. Um, also, I just think at the moment, uh, AI is making image generation a lot easier. So that's what I discovered yesterday. So you can take little bits if you've, if you've got, like, the Texas version of your cover – which is obviously going to be almost iphone shapes in that dimension you can create a widescreen version of that just tell photoshop beta how to do that and it what what not how to do it, what you want who knows how it does it but you tell it what you want so um i think there's a there's a quickly developing market for indie authors in their kitchens creating really professional looking images very quickly
0: are you using GP, gpt as well
1: I am. So yesterday, I used it for the first time properly. Mark's been using it for a while to generate copy and targeting ideas for our new series that we're running, these legal thrillers. So I'll get some help with that. So it's a bit early in my experimentation with that. And um, I'm yet to actually start running the campaigns but I'm preparing them based on what ChatGPT has told me about the comp authors, the type of language to use, and some ideas on targeting mm-hmm.
0: That's so interesting. I've been, I'm more the other way. I've been using GPT more than mid-journey. I tried, but I couldn't really prompt Midjourney very well. I don't know why, but GPT, I've really started to find, like, I just get it to do anything I don't enjoy doing, like writing captions for social media. I fucking hate writing captions. Like, I just, I can't, I just cannot. So I get it to write them. Um, and then you just tweak it, right? So it sounds more like yeah. you. Um, but yeah, it's so useful for anything that is like a rote repeat task that you have to do a lot in your in your, like your back end systems. Anyway, this is the Rebel Author podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel.
1: Wow. When did I unleash my inner <laughs> rebel? I need to I needed to have thought about this in advance.
0: That's um, why I send the questions.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know how rebellious I am really Sasha. Um, everyone
0: says that, trust me. Like there's a rebellion yeah. in there. <laughs>
1: um what did i do that was rebellious i mean i don't know i mean book two i suppose i did i did just write the story and stick with it and and turn down a little bit of advice from the development editor on that because i've had a i had a strong feeling about it and also that's particularly rebellious um god i can't really think of anything
0: it doesn't have to be like in the publishing industry it can be like from childhood or i get all kinds of things from yeah all all kinds of random rebellions from
1: okay well i'll tell you the most dangerous thing i did that almost killed me or or, or blew my legs off is you've got to remember i went to school pre-internet okay. and so pre-internet you know you went to the library and looked up an encyclopedia so if you want to look something up and uh as a boy became quite interested in gunpowder and what actually was gunpowder and how do you make it and we we did a load of research <laughs> down the library, discovered the ingredients, which I'm not going to say out loud. Please here. don't. <laughs> what one of the ingredients you had to get from a chemist, and we, we went in. And the guy the guy looked at us and said, "Why why do you want this?" And we had no we had no plausible answer for it. We didn't know what it was for, apart from what we wanted to use it. We're going to tell So then we looked up what it was for, and actually it was a type of cleaning product. So we went back to a different chemist in Huntingdon High Street, went in there and the guy said, what do you want it for? And we said, my mum wants it for cleaning. He said, all oh, right, okay. And he handed it over. So we created gunpowder. We created this gunpowder. We thought it got in the mix right. And we had a pile of it. And we were behind the lower school, Hinchingbrook Lower School in Huntingdon.
0: I knew you went had- to Hinchingbrook. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah.
1: Well, this this lower school building burnt down, but not because of this. That was <laughs> Several years <Lies>. later. No. <laughs> yes, it's now houses. But we were there and we had this pile and we thought, well, I guess we have to light it. Someone had a box of matches or a lighter. I can't remember what. We 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 did a little like cartoon trail out of it. And so we stood not that far away, probably five yards, lit that, and the the, the powder leading up to the to the little main um dumper powder went and it went like that and there's a huge plume of white smoke and nothing else particularly happened and we just scarpered we just ran we ran around to the front of the school and everybody's staring at this massive <laughs> plume of white so including the teachers going what on earth is that it quickly dissipated it was one thing what i now know is what we didn't do was compact it we had created such an enormous amount of gunpowder. If we compacted it, it would have probably killed us. It would have certainly blown our legs off. That would have been a major explosion. And honestly, had we thought about it, we probably would have compacted it because that's what you do for a bomb. Honestly, that's so it was such a stupid thing to do. Oh, my, and you stupid. did it on
0: school grounds during school oh, we did, time?
1: Oh, good. Lunchtime, yeah. So there were chickens, <laughs> they were called chicken sheds behind the school, behind Lower School. I don't, there were no chickens in there, not, not in my day. And there, there was a little gap between the chicken sheds and the school. So you're sort of hidden from everybody, but people walking past out there. So that's probably I mean, I've done a few stupid things, but that was that's the one I can remember.
0: I mean, that is incredibly uh rebellious. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Come to think of it, it's quite rebellious.
0: That is I was, rebellious.
1: I wasn't a good school pupil. I was quite rebellious, I have to say. <laughs>
0: see I told you there were stories in there yeah. um okay tell everyone where they can find out more about you if you want to talk about um the conference like anything else that you would like to add I can make sure this goes out before the conference if, if there are still tickets
1: yeah that'd be great thank you yeah so I think I think the self-publishing stuff is of most interest to your audience so that is we're selfpublishingformula.com we're the home of the self-publishing podcast all the stuff is on there at, at the main website and we have our annual conference yeah in London. Over two days, 20th 21st of June, so coming up soon. Uh, there probably will be tickets. We kept 100 back for buffeting, uh, buffering. And also, when we started launching this last year, we were still in COVID. And we still weren't sure whether they were going to say to us, you've got to have gaps in the audience. So I suspect if we if we get to the, I think it's 816, we get to that point in the next week or two, we'll release that 100. So it's likely there'll be tickets. And you can find them at selfpublishingformula.com forward slash um SPS live a self-publishing show live I and if so. you want to know anything about me I'm on TikTok James R Blatch and jamesblatch.com is my website where I host my books and hopefully book four will be added uh, to that before the end of this year Although I'm not promising that because we're halfway through the year suddenly not
0: we? I know it's shocking Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a big thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to James Blatch, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm going to be talking to Morgana Best all about direct sales. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.